All right. Welcome back to Beyond the Messaging Connection. This is Trent Chapman here with Ryan Chapman. Hello. And we are going to be talking today about the email dilemma, episode two here. Um, now, we love email. Now, it may sound like we're trashing on email a little bit here in this episode, but let me just set this straight. We used email to build our first business, and it was very, very effective for us. It made us millions of dollars, so we're big fans of email. However, it has its time and its place, and we still use it with our campaigns. We still use it with our follow-up, with our customer onboarding. But again, it has its time and place, and we know its limitations, so we work within those. So when we talk about it today, don't feel like Trent and Ryan hate email. That email is the devil. Don't ever use it. That's not what we're saying here. But you have to be realistic and understand what the limitations are. Well, I um, think this is, uh, Trent, if you don't mind, I want to uh, state that sometimes people talk about medias as if they are um, – like stagnant they don't change you know they're not yeah. dynamic and the reality is that when we were using email um what now 12 years ago we started using email it was a different ball game than it is today things changed direct mail back then there's a different ball game with direct mail back then yeah just understand that medias change the the ball game changes around them and you know mostly because of how it's used so, and you can't stop that. It's human nature. People are going to abuse every media. And because of abuses, things change, rules change, people adjust because they're, everybody's in a constant flux of trying to set their own priorities. So I think that's an important concept to start with. And here's what changes, I think, that people realize this, but maybe not consciously aware of it. None of us want to be bothered, right? We don't want to yeah. be bothered. So email is designed to communicate, usually person to person, business to business. We want to communicate with other people in a way that's not just jumping on the phone because that's difficult. You got to line up set schedules. It makes it hard. But when we can communicate in a way that we can send a message, someone can get to it when they have time, reply to the message when they have time, that's great. However, email has been used for more than just that. So because of that, email service providers have been coming up with ways to get rid of unwanted email or spam. So I think that like there's billions of emails every day that are spam. So Ryan, what were the what were the numbers? You was it like what percentage of emails sent on a daily basis are considered spam? I think it's something like eighty or ninety percent are, and that's in the billions daily that are sent. Yeah, it's just it's unreal. And you know, I think back to when we started with email twelve years ago. Um, you know, it, there was still a lot of email, but it was still relatively new. In terms of mass marketing and stuff, so there were, you know, there were some filters. There were always rules, but the rules back then were very like word driven, right? Mm-hmm. So they might break an email into a bunch of different words, measure a ratio real quickly of words to images. Like, was there mostly HTML in the email, or were there words? Because they kind of figured out if it was just a picture, that was something that the spammers did, and so if you had low words to uh images or html then they would say okay this is probably more likely spam and so we're going to treat it like that and then they had some arcane spam traps and stuff like that and you know they were looking for words like free and you know stuff you know that the the full-on spammers used that time frame though they did start to implement something it wasn't machine learning or anything but they used they started to look for high spam complaints and then start to block IP addresses, start to block email addresses. Yeah, yeah that, well, they would look at these other rules and then if they saw that you as the sender were doing that, then of course they'd penalize your domain name, your IP address, you know, stuff that they could use to associate 
that bad email with a bad character. And then, you know, they're trying to eliminate bad characters. But I mean, if we compare it then to today, <laughs> I would say it's like totally different. Not even, yeah. Not even the same ballpark. It's so much harder now because the email service providers have become so much more sophisticated that it's so easy for them to just say, no, I think you're spam and then throw you out. And if they don't throw you out of spam, they can hide your emails. You know a promotion mean? folder. <laughs> Promotions folder. They do all sorts of stuff. They, you know, depending on the setup of the, the email service, you know, they can do a lot of things to bury your email. And well, so it's pretty easy. Well, this kind of brings us to the, the point here. That is that when you're using automation in business and email automation specifically, most of those emails that are sent by automation platforms are not being open and read. They're not being seen. Now you can have a great headline to your email. You can have a great message inside the email, but the fact is if they don't open that and don't read it, that headline and that message does nothing for you. So if your email goes straight to promotion straight to spam, who cares how great your email was? It doesn't matter about your copy. It's well, a matter of not seeing it. Let me just clarify what Trent, Trent's using a, a copywriting term headline for subject line. Cause from the email, that's how ingrained we are with our email. Sorry about that. I, need base, I need to bring that back down. That's true. But yeah, <laughs> with all copywriting, there's always a, a catch, right? What is the thing that hooks your attention? So that you'll read the rest of the body of the message. And that's what a subject line is. You basically your headline to your, your email is your subject line. So go back to that, Ryan. Go ahead. Continue. Well, yeah. No, I just wanted to point that out so people that maybe aren't familiar with direct response copywriting or just copywriting in general, they may not understand what you meant by a headline. That's your subject line. Like Trent said, it's the hook. And so they, they don't even get a chance to see that. Like, And a lot of people just write terrible subject lines to begin with because we don't know, you know, nobody's teaching us those things for the most part. So we write an okay subject line that doesn't really get much attention. And, you know, with email, it's funny. Back Trent in 2011, we had a, a little software for the training company that we had. And in it, I, add, I decided Twitter was fairly new. So I was like, well, I'll just do a Twitter clone for people to be able to communicate with each other. And pretty quick, do you remember what people started complaining about with that approach? I don't remember this at all. <laughs> okay. They started complaining because it, it, the stream of the, of the feed of people's comments and you know, communication just pushed everything down. And so that's what we have happening in email today. So you send an email, geez, what are the odds that that email is going to get buried by 300 other emails by the end of the yeah. day? You know, that's, that's what you, so it's not just that you have to get through the filters and the loops with the email, but the, just the sheer volume of messages is pushing your mess, your message further and further down the inbox. And, you know, it's a clean inbox. Quick, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to open my email app on my phone here. I have 7,275 unread emails. It's a big accomplishment for people to have a zero inbox, right? It's like something people will post about on social media because it's so rare. Yeah. Now, I, can, I happen to accomplish it by every like, quarter. I just <laughs> I archive everything. So I figure if I haven't gotten to it you know, by then, you know, I'm probably not getting to it. So I just archive all of it. But some people, you know, they can't do that. They're afraid of missing something, so they won't archive it. But it'll just get away from them, right? That's what I do, Ryan. I do. I look for people's list that I'm on. I have to unsubscribe from that list. I unsubscribe. I look for their email address, search them all, and archive all those. That way, it, it removes hundreds at a time. <laughs> you probably followed some sort of process. And I think that's an interesting thing to be thinking about because uh, you're not alone. You know, you're not alone, Trent. 
those of you that are listening, you're not alone. All of us have to figure out how do we deal with all this information. I think it's interesting, if you look at the history of email, best I understand it is email kind of started in the government sphere um, or with some messaging board type things that converted into a direct message type thing. And so basically it was, you know, students, uh, government people, and large corporations that initially had email. And then they're like, hey, we need to email other people. And so then consumer email addresses came out. And that's where you had services like Hotmail and Yahoo and AOL. They were giving consumers finally this chance not only to get on the Internet, but to have an email address, that coveted email address. And then pretty soon we figured out, oh, this is a scam. <laughs> you know, and, but we all had to have it because everybody was in uh, the email game. And so well, that's have one. Well, I have a dozen email addresses. Now, um, we'll contrast that later on to some other media types. But, you know, that's, yeah, well, that's exactly it, too. A lot of us don't just have one email address. We have email addresses for different people, right? So my kids know that they have to have a spam email address and then their real email address. <laughs> and, you know, my kids are teenagers up to young adults. And uh, so the, they already know that. I mean, think most people have the same way. So depending on how much you trust the person that is asking for your email address, you give them the appropriate Fair email. So talk, talk us through, like, what is the experience of the average person as they're looking at their email inbox? I think this is helpful because if we're even trying to get, and by the way, you can win the email game, but you can't win it just with email. I think that's really important for you to understand. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end here. Yeah. Some ways that we've been able to make email more effective without just relying on email. Um, but yeah, so what, what I think about my email inbox, and most people have a process, right? We want to make sure that we can get to the right messages we want because you do get messages in your email that you want to read. And those messages are important. But what happened, Ryan mentioned it earlier, a lot of times other messages that are coming to your inbox, they may not be going to spam or promotions, they're actually coming to your inbox, are not really urgent or important or there's something you need to reply to, the notifications of some sort, like your Amazon delivery. You know, it's, it's very important. But anyway, you get all these messages coming in and then you have to make sure you have a process for finding important messages from friends and family or from work that you don't want to miss. And so we all have a process. So for, for a lot of us, we might have a process of filtering, whether it be an automated filter we set in our inbox or we manually filter things, put them into box one, box two, box three as they come in. That way we can get to the box ones when we have time, box twos if we have more time, and box threes when we're really just bored. So a lot of people have processes like that. Um, then there's also filtering like by Google. For example, you go Gmail at all. They have like your inbox, your promotions tab, and then your junk folder, you know, you've got all these different tabs that they can create for you to automatically, through machine learning, try to get educated guess of, oh, this is coming from this email service provider. That's used for automation. So this is probably a promotion email. Let's put this over here. So they do that for you as well. So all this stuff is happening. We're filtering. The email service provider is filtering. And so it's, that's the first thing. Um, the other thing I do, I don't know if you do this, Ryan, but I'll go through and I'm scrolling through and I just look at the headlines and the sender. If it's a sender that I recognize, like, oh, I'm looking for an email from them, or it's a headline that sounds like something I want to read, I might grab those. Otherwise, I'm going to select all this in my inbox, and then I'll just unmark the ones I want to keep and then archive the rest. So that's a yeah. process where I'm scanning through visually, not using any type of filtering process, but just visually scanning through and you know, cleaning out things. And I'll do that weekly probably. Well, and let's, let's take a jump back 10 years. Think about it, 10 years ago. Um, you might have been an early adopter of Facebook, so you're just getting onto Facebook. You 
may not have had a smartphone yet. How much information did you have to deal with then versus today? Because yeah, today it's not just that there's more and more email, there's more email, there's more social media notifications there, you know, there's all these other things that are saying, Hey, pay attention to Yeah. (laughs) And I think because of that gimmicks that may have worked 10 years ago, just don't work the same today. And there's people that still continue to use those gimmicks or try to use them. And it's, it's almost comical. It's more like a comical in the, in the classical sense, which means it's a tragedy. Um, Mm -hmm. Because these people that are are using these gimmicks think that, Hey, I'm, I'm accomplishing something. And the reality is you're not, the gimmicks don't work. You've got to have some sort of headline and we're using headline in place of subject line because that's the way we want you to be thinking about it because that's part of how you get email to work. But there, you've got to use a subject line or a headline that actually communicates the genesis of the value that your email is going to provide for them. Because like Trent's saying, they're scanning through. You know, they can identify. We've all been trained well enough that we know the spammy headlines, you know. So they just don't work the same way that they used to. It doesn't mean that they don't work, but they don't work the same way they used to. And they also color you as a character. I think that's important for you to understand too. What we're looking for in marketing is we're not just looking for some mind share. We're looking for mind share that sets us in the right light. Because, you know, we all know somebody that when we see their name, we kind of think scammy. We kind of think yeah. slimy. And it's not that they, they probably do deliver good content periodically, but their approach, their technique is exactly. always a little underhanded. You know what I mean? So you're kind yeah, of like... Once you're in that bucket, it's kind of hard to get out of it too. So once you put yeah. yourself in that slimy bucket or scammy bucket, it's hard for them to change their, their perception of you. Is this a good time to talk, talk about attention currency? Do you want to talk about that after? Let's um, go into that in just a second. I want to go through, have you finished going through that process that people go through? Uh, it is a good... So remember attention currency because we're going to come into that. But... What, what do people do then once they've, they've scanned a subject line or they well, yeah, a sender? And- First scan is to say, I want to get rid of all the junk that I'm not going to even read, I don't care about. Then I've got like 10, 15 emails left here. These aren't emails necessarily that I may want, but maybe the headline caught my attention, the subject line. And so I'm going to open those up. And it better be something that really quickly in the body of the message gets to the point or hooks my attention in some way. Because if they're going with long-form copy and I didn't request that information recently, I'm probably going to get like, oh, glazed over eyes, a lot of copy here. Uh I don't want to read this right now. So we've got to get to the point or hook me somehow pretty quick in that first few lines so that they get my attention into, okay, I'm going to invest more of my time to see what this is about. And that usually happens when this is not, I'm not talking about email from my mom, email from my my family. Those things I'm going to, of course, read because it's someone that I care about. I want to read their message. But it comes from someone that maybe I opted into their list a couple months ago. And I get a message from them. They had a good headline or good subject line. They have less time to get to the point than anybody else. They have to make sure that they've said something that's of value to me and they've expressed how this email is going to benefit me and my business, my personal life in some way to where I'd want to invest more time reading that. So when you're saying that you're really talking about uh, targeting, you got to make sure that you're not doing large broadcasts, that you're not doing real loose campaigns. You, you've got to be on point. And I think this, you know, this is a good setup for attention currency. So we'll, we'll, we'll delay it a little bit longer but the point is, as soon as somebody opts in to your list, however they do that, 
that's probably the peak moment of interest. And so unless you build some sort of uh, attention, some sort of reason for them to pay attention to everything else you say, that first interaction is like an audition almost, right? Mm -hmm. You're auditioning to say, hey, should I get more of your attention? You know, and if you are sloppy about it or if you're not thoughtful about it, um, that's where you're probably going to kill your full on chances of being successful at the email. So it's really, really critical that you think about those interactions from beginning all the way through and you're not cutting corners on the email because you can kill email with one email. Well, here's what happens. If I read that email, whether it be this first email or maybe it's down the line in a couple of weeks. Second, and I feel third. Yeah, it's not bringing the value that I thought it would bring. There's a button at the bottom of every email that says unsubscribe. So I'll just tap <laughs> that and then I'm done with them. Or I'll use, like I use Unroll Me. There's a lot of services that let you opt out. You just tap the button and then it automatically makes sure that that message does never, never gets into your inbox again. It'll either opt out for you or it might just um, go ahead and just block those messages from getting into your well, inbox. And- You'll remember that Trent said at the beginning that email service providers are using machine learning, some other things to be able to determine, you know, where placement of emails should go. But you'll also notice that they'll place unsubscribe buttons at the top of your email if they recognize it's coming from marketing automation. So it's a lot easier to lose connection with people through email than you even realize it. It is a tough game to play. So I'll, I'll share an anecdotal story about how using personal email has improved the results for one business. We'll talk about the collections, you know, the um, recurring revenue re- when people's billing payments fail. We'll talk about their situation where they do use personal email versus automated and how that's helping them to use email more effectively. So that's, that's, that's going to be something we talk about at the end when we have time for that. But after I've decided who I'm going to opt out of, um, at that point, I'm pretty much done going through my email for the day. So it's either you've accepted I've accepted you. I like the information. I click through. I get more information on your website, watch a video, whatever. I follow your next call to action. Or you probably have lost my trust and interest and I just opt out. Right, right. Once you talk about this, this uh, big myth and misconception about the cost of email, once you get into that a bit. Okay. Um, the big myth is this. Email is free. And a lot of people act as though it's free. Mostly because like their marketing automation platform, whatever they're using, they may charge them by the contact or they may charge them by the number of emails, but they're not thinking of a price per email. I don't know anybody that's thinking of, oh, okay, an email cost me 0.0005 cents to send. They're mostly thinking that it's free. And because of that, they just send as many as they can. Like it's not uncommon for me to see people that have campaigns that have like 50, 60 emails in them. You know, they're just like... Yeah, I'm going to, you know, it may be like a three-year campaign, but they're like, yeah, I'm just going to drip on them until they hey, buy. buy or die, buy or die. And the, the, problem, the problem with that approach, and, you know, I think people, I always am concerned people will see our marketing automation campaigns <laughs> and they'll be like, that's it. Because we understand that, you know, you, People are usually in the market for something for a period of time. Um, the long tail is not as effective as it used to be because of the game of there email. Is, there is profit well. there, but it's not going to be – most of your profit is not in the long tail or in the extended follow-up, though. We found that out. 
Well, and I really think that part of that was based on a misconception about something. We'll kind of get into that in a little bit here. But the underlying problem with this this myth of email is free or no cost or very low cost, and it's just abundant, I can use it however I want, is that nobody's paying attention to this concept we mentioned before of attention currency. Now, attention currency is this concept that says uh, every time you have an interaction with somebody, you are either making a deposit or a withdrawal in the amount of attention they will give you. That's not just true in marketing. That's true everywhere, right? I think you went over that really quickly. People may have missed that. That's something that, and this is personal interaction too. You probably have friends or acquaintances. Maybe they were friends and other acquaintances. (laughs) Because of the interactions you had with them, they made a lot of withdrawals to where now there's no friendship now. There's an acquaintance relationship there. And that's the same way with the emails that you get or the messages you get from a business or from someone you're following, they're either building up that trust and that attention or they're detracting from it by not providing value to your relationship. Now, value is an interesting thing because we can call that kind of generically, but this value is in the perception of the receiver. So whatever yeah. the, the receiver perceives as value, it's not what you think is value. And this is the other part that I see business owners get caught up and there's like, well, this is a super valuable email. This is a big tip. They really need this tip. This promotion is a great offer. It's a big discount. Yeah. Oh man, huge, <laughs> huge value in this offer. I mean, I've got 37 items in there valued at $16,000 and I'm only selling it for a thousand. I'm a huge value. The, the value is determined by the recipient. And that's really critical for you to understand. If they don't perceive it as a value, it doesn't matter what you think about it. And that's kind of harsh. And sometimes people might go, geez, Ryan, you're such a hard butt on that. But the truth is, it only matters what the recipient values. And so it's got to be from their perspective. And this is another reason why early on in the relationship, you want to make sure that you're actually accurate to what they find to be important. What are they looking for? There's some ways that you can go about doing that, but you've got to make sure that your, your messaging is on target with their needs. And if you do that, your, your odds are better than that you're going to be making deposits instead of withdrawals. This does not mean you cannot make offers. Understand that the right offer made to the right person at the right time is extremely valuable. So we're not, we kind of joked about, oh, yeah, it's really valuable from your perspective, but not theirs. There are some offers you can make that are extremely valuable where they might see it exactly like you do. Wow, that's like worth 16 grand. They're giving it to me for a grand. That's a great value. I'm going to jump all over that. So it's not to say you can't make offers, but you've just got to be paying attention to that attention currency. And if you send a bunch of emails that really don't communicate much and especially don't communicate much from their perspective, perceived value measure that you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot. And so you might have 50 emails in the campaign, but after email two or three, they've either filtered you out or they've mentally filtered you out or whatever the case may be. Or unsubscribed in the worst case scenario, or maybe best. It's probably better for you to know that somebody unsubscribed than to have somebody ignoring you. Because I think the stats are Trent that probably close to 30% of the emails you, you send out are actually even looked at. And when we talk about looked at, you know, think back to what Trent was walking through. Yeah, deadline. That Scan might sub- mean they, they scanned the subject line and then they opened it up and scanned the first couple lines. It doesn't mean consumption. Scanning is not consumption. Scanning is just scanning. I'm just looking to see what should I throw away, not what should I keep. And so that's not, that's not interaction. That's not consumption. That's 
something totally different. You know, we can, that's why I say the best way with email to measure consumption is a click or a response. On the value perception here, Ryan, going back to that, because I think we, yeah. we may have skipped this a little bit. The perception on their side really comes down to um, when, you're, when you're writing your message or when you're sharing things to them, um, are you addressing the concern that you promised you to address when they opted into your list? Right. We all come to either when we're opting in for a business, and it's usually business, obviously, right? We don't opt into someone's personal email list. We opt into a business's email list. We're usually opting in because they promised us or they attracted us with some sort of a offer to relieve some pain or bring us closer to a goal or an objective that we have. And so if their subject and their content and all that stuff does not drive us closer to that outcome, and this is where I see a lot of people miss this, they don't keep on, on point with their messaging. They jump from one message to the next, from, from your opt-in to your emails, to your other emails. They jump around so much that the person's like, I don't, I don't want this stuff anymore because it doesn't really talk about what I was interested in when I opted in. So there's that market to message connection that has, has to be there in order to gain more attention currency. So if I'm addressing yeah. a nugget about a problem that they opted in to fix or a solution or a goal they're trying to reach, I'm helping them get there. I'm going yeah. to get more deposits into the attention currency. Even if I'm not selling that email, by providing good, valuable content and a, maybe a tip or a strategy of something of value around the problem or the solution or the thing I'm getting to, that's where I'm getting deposits into that attention currency. Then my next email, if I do a strong call to offer, it doesn't see, seem so off because it's related to the attention and the currency I've already um, had deposits from them. And so I'm now leading up to bringing more value, bring more value and do a call to action. And that's how you see more and more results from your email. Now that's not going to fix the problem with the email filters, the ESP is filtering out. Now it's not going to fix all the other problems associated with email, but if you're going to use email, use it in a way where you're getting more of their attention, building up more of that currency. So they trust you and want to do business with you. Yeah, That all presupposes that you understand what your customers are after. Right. Yeah. And so that presupposes that you have a good, clear call to action in the first place. But, you know, one of the things to this point, Trent, is whenever we're coming up with um, marketing, we're first running it through the filter of can I deliver on that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important thing to do because I see people that are real quick to make crazy promises that I know they can't fulfill. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, because you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Good response rate. Good response rate. So th think holistically when you're doing your marketing, when you're, you're thinking about email, think holistically and say, okay, what ultimately am I trying to do? Am I trying to establish a long-term customer company relationship with this individual? And if I am, what are the fundamental principles of a long-term relationship? And like the number one is trust. And so what that means is I've got to do what I say I'm going to do. So when I'm coming up with my marketing, yeah, of course I want people to take action. Yes, I want it to be enticing, but I can't say things I, I won't fulfill on. And that's to the point Trent was making, which is when you start sending these emails, they better be on point. They better actually deliver on the promises you made in marketing. Because if your marketing or in your advertising, if your marketing doesn't deliver on the promises you made in your advertising, you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're, you're starting off the relationship violating their trust because they're like, hey, you said you were going to teach me one, two, and three, and you haven't taught me any of that yet. It's like you're, you're just leading me on because you haven't gotten to it. You keep alluding to it. Like if 
when we talked about attention currency earlier on in the podcast, if we just kept on saying, oh yeah, we're going to get to that, we're going to get to that, and then we never got to it, you should have been ticked off if we had done that. Fortunately, we delivered on our promise. But that's an important part in your email. you got to make sure that you're, you're thinking big picture. Now, big picture ultimately is long-term customers. So what do we need to be doing in the, that email to make sure that it is a long-term experience that will stick with us? Now, Trent, we kind of glossed over something at the very beginning that I think is important enough to go back and kind of bring up, which is uh, we were all just making the assumption that the email, that the marketing automation platform is even going to get the email delivered in the first place. You know what I mean? And that, you know, recently we're on a number of different forums on social media and we get to see people, you know, frustrated and upset because something's not working and Email is one of those. You know, people are trying to get email sent out and they're not being delivered on time and they're getting frustrated at the email automation platform or the marketing automation platform because, you know, they think, oh, it must be their fault. And what they're not realizing is this game is getting more and more difficult. And so there are probably about three or four things you must do before you can even send out an email in the first place. Then you've got to warm up the email if you're using a brand new marketing automation platform. There's an IP address. So you got to kind of warm that up, which means you got to send kind of gradually and until you get your volume up to where you would need it to be, which can take a couple of weeks or months. And then once you're doing all that, then you got to hope that the email service provider as a whole isn't getting lumped because of all the senders that they're sending for, because all it takes is two or three bad actors. And then something like AOL or Hotmail will just say, no, we're not taking any email from you until you guys straighten up your act. And that happens all too frequently. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of complications with email just on top of the fact of everything else that the humans do to determine well, what do I actually want to read. And that brings me back to what I said was the first goal I used to have, Trent, when we first got started with email was um, this was because we were at a, at a convention and somebody said, well, do you do trackable links? And I was like, well, what's a trackable link? And then they explained it to me. And I said, oh, well, no. And he said, well, never send out an email without a trackable link. And I took that as gospel and I kind of started doing that, you know, which is it, the problem with that is it, it has this, this very common perception in it that email is a talk at media. You, you want to explain what I mean by talk at? Yeah. Well, you think about it this way. When we're sending out email broadcasts, most people's messages is, Take action on this, watch this, read this, buy this. It's not a matter of, hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And we're waiting for a reply, a response back. So when we're talking at people, we're not expecting to have to invest our time to have a conversation with them, to lead them to something. So a lot of times when email is sent out, it's specifically to ask people to do something, tell them to do something, push them towards something that's automated, not conversation-based. I just realized this. You know, the reason why that is, and you tell me what you think about this, but I think it's because a lot of emails that are written, right? Mm -hmm. Email is written by copywriters. Now, if you go back traditionally, copywriters wrote two things. They wrote ads. Print ads. Or direct mail. Also print. (laughs) Yeah. And like, okay, so I'm doing direct mail. They can't just hit reply and reply back to that direct mail piece. They'd have to get a piece of paper, write it, put the stamp yeah. on it, take it to the mailbox. And so it wasn't something that they were normally Don't thinking close. about. 
Yeah, it wasn't like a you know, respond to me personally. The, the response may have been, yeah, mail me a check or something like that. So we're going for a purchase decision or buying decision. But, you know, it wasn't let's interact and have a conversation. And so that that whole framework that people are building out of, right? So if you look at the evolution of most emails that are written for businesses, it's coming out of that direct response or copywriting world. And so that makes perfect sense if you think about it, that that's why so many people treat it as a speak at media, even though the original intention of email was a two-way conversation. Yeah. Well, we we talk about this in um, another podcast series we did for one of our businesses, but we'll touch on this lightly. There's a thing that we, we, we call these rules, right? And there's an old rule that was used with marketing and that was, we have this limited media of print or, you know, mailing out direct mail. And so they can't reply easily. So what happens is what Ryan just explained is as we translated that marketing approach into email, well, email had some new technology allowed for easy, quick reply, but mm. people were still using the old rules of it's too hard to reply. So let's not ask them to reply. Let's just focus on talking at them. And so it's, it's crazy that we're here 20 plus years into email being a thing that people use frequently and people are still using these old rules of it's too hard for people to reply. So let's just talk at them. And so Gosh, what is it like 90%, probably 99% of people that do email marketing don't want a reply. Yeah. Like most email that come from businesses are no reply at, <laughs> which is insane. Right. Cause it's like, well, of course you want people to reply. Cause what if something's broken? What if it's not working? What if the person's having a bad experience? You want to hear from them because the only way you can make it right is if you know something's going wrong. So yeah, that's, that's just yeah, bizarre. That's crazy I can't believe that. That happens with email. And I, and that's brought me to this, this concept, this thought about, I mentioned earlier, there's a company that does, I can't remember the name of them right now, probably come to me, but they do um, billing collections and not necessarily collections. It's basically when companies have subscriptions. Is it gravy? Yeah, it's gravy. So they, people forget about, um, the software they have running and then the billing might not work, but maybe they had a different phone number, a different email when they signed up and the company can't get a hold of them. A lot of times it's just that they didn't get the emails because their emails are automated through billing, right? And those mm-hmm. automated emails from billing are coming from the same marketing email software we're using. Therefore, the emails are going to promotions or spam. So they're not seeing the messages that their billing just went to default. So this company said, hey, you know what? Let's take a personal approach. And so what they do is instead of using automation, their, their representatives are jumping in, emailing personally from their personal email accounts. They set up a bunch of business slash personal accounts through Gmail, emailing personally to another person's email account, getting much more deliverability because these are personal to per, person-to-person emails. They're not going through automation filters. They're not getting you know, stuck somewhere else. And people can respond back. Isn't that an amazing concept? They email them personally, they respond back, and they're, they're like doing amazing things with getting these people back into an active billing state. So a lot of times businesses just like, Oh, these people didn't respond, cancel their account. It's been 30 days. They're not interested anymore. When we've never that was done involuntary. That. No, we've never done that. Never. ever. <laughs> That's called involuntary churn in the business world where you have a subscription based service or product. And that involuntary churn amounts for oh, a lot geez. of businesses, tens of thousands or millions of dollars in lost revenue because they assume someone's not interested just because their billing failed because they're not seeing the message that, hey, your billing failed. So this company, Gravy, is getting all that gravy that you're losing and helping collect it. So that's just that concept of they're using email in an effective way. They're not using it just for automation. They're using person-to-person conversations. So we've been talking about how they can incorporate also 
text message to create those opportunities for conversations with these people that may not have the right email address on file. And that's why they're not getting the messages. Um, but that's just, just t- think of that concept. Email is largely used to talk at people when it could be very effectively used to talk with people. Well, so then let's talk about this because I, you know, this isn't based on scientific research. This is based on observation. So there could be a little bit of skew in it, but the, the logic is sound. So I want you to think and consider about this. When you're w- working with an email service provider, the email service provider is trying to protect the recipients. Okay. Yeah. So let's That's say you, you've got if a, I get a lot of spam. If I get a lot of spam with AOL, I just put his email, give them a spam. I'm sticking with Gmail because they do better to protect me and my time. So they're competing and they want to have that because they're also serving up ads, gathering information. It's part of the whole big scheme for the email service provider. Or if the email service provider is charging money, then you know that's what they're getting their money for. So what's going on here is they're trying to defend that, that contact's email inbox. And so they're looking for signs because they're also not supposed to be Mr. Big Brother and hide things that the person wants. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to take cues from the user on which emails do they want and then making sure that those emails then get higher priority so that the, the user isn't going to be upset because yes, they got to protect them from spam, but they can't protect them from wanted emails. So they yeah. go about looking at some signals. This is where machine learning is so powerful for them is they use signals from the recipient to train the machine learning algorithm so that it can be able to display the proper emails in the proper places in the proper way. And so if you want to think about in a point system, the biggest point, like this is how you get like, let's say 10 points, right? Is if the person replies back to an email that was sent to them. That's huge. What does that show when I reply to you? Does it show that I want to unsubscribe? (laughs) No, it shows that we're engaging in some way. Now, I'm sure that they could look at the email content, and if it's like, you know, screw you, don't ever email me again, they might not count it the same way, or they may just be looking at any reply is a good sign. But let's say it's... how to opt out, right? Yeah. Don't subscribe anymore. So it's 10, 10 points if they reply, okay? Now, you may be thinking, well, what about clicks and opens? I would say open is like a tenth of a point. If it's 10 points for a reply, an open is a tenth of a point. And then if it's 10 points for a reply, it's one point for a click. So a click does count towards something, but it's not nearly as powerful as a reply. So taking this information into consideration, what we want to do in order to get all of our email, because understand, if Gmail is collecting email from you, right, and they're looking at, at let's say they're looking at Trent's behavior from my email that's sending to him, that's skewing Trent's individual inbox display from my messages but it's also weighing in on the global for, for Gmail. So for if domain, for, your for my domain, for my reputation as a sender. So if I'm sending email out to a hundred people and let's say 50 of those reply to me and like, you know, 10 of them click, you know, and so we had 60 at least that opened or whatever. Okay. And remember the, the email service provider has more information than your marketing automation platform does. Cause there's a lot of things that skew your marketing automation platforms results but all that being said if they go and they see that they're going to treat a lot differently than someone who sends out 100 emails and gets like 20 or 30 opens no clicks and no replies so just understand that concept it's almost like you have the currency with the email service provider as well so think about it that way 
So that's really important. So now as you're starting to write your emails, yes, okay, we've got to get the subject line right. Again, we're, email is a rough state. So we're not telling you you can just do email and you're going to be successful in the mobile world. That's just not the way it works. But you can do a few things to make it better. And so while we're trying to set the stage so you really understand how tough email is, because it is tough, there are a few things you can do to make it better and they require that you go beyond email. So the way to fix email is you go beyond email. So the first thing you got to do is you got to get more people actually engaging with the email. So we like to use other media. So it could be a phone call, a direct voicemail, a text message, a Facebook ad, something like that to get them to go to their email inbox. You know, I just delivered something important to you. Check it out. That's really important. We can push people into the email inbox. That's going to get us a few points on opens. And if there's like a click on the click, okay, that's phase one. Phase two is we've got to start thinking about how do we start conversations. And this is a concept that is super powerful on the texting side, but can be just about not quite as powerful because it doesn't get seen as well. It's exposure is less. Like we're saying, it's a tough game to get the email even seen, but in the body of your email, if you ask a question that starts a conversation, you're going to be scoring major points with the email service providers, which will help the delivery of all your emails. So those, if you use those three rules, it's going to help you a ton. So think about how do I push people into the email inbox when something important has been sent to them? So that can be like one of the things that we would do when we were back with our training company is we would have a weekly call. So during the weekly call, everybody that jumped on the call, we might tell them, hey, we just sent you an important email. So that's using a phone call. In that case, it was a one-to-many phone call to push people into the email inbox. That's going to help boost up our credibility with the email service providers. Number two is you might use another media like texting or whatever like that. Um, number three is always use the links in there. And number four is try and start conversations from your emails. Stop treating it like direct mail. Start treating it like actual email. I'm so glad you made that breakthrough because I'd been thinking about it. It'd been bothering me, but you used something that is in our book, um, How to Fix Your Funnel, which you can find on Amazon for like five bucks. But in that book, we talk about new rules versus old rules. And so that's what Trent was referencing when he said, technology will change, but if we don't change the rules to leverage the technology, we actually don't get any of the benefits. And so, so many people have been using email like direct mail because they didn't update the rules to adapt to the new opportunities that the new technology offered. And if you start updating your emails to the new technology, because the, the, the new benefit of email from 20 years ago is that you can actually reply and have a conversation with people. So if you can get well, people to thing. respond. You don't need to do every single email. It's no. not, you have to have every email be a question that gets response. But you have to have it to where at least one out of every few emails, you're engaging with them. And when you do that, and at first, your list, if you haven't been uh, communicating with them that way, will find it awkward and odd. But new opt-ins... They might see that as a normal thing because that's how you started out with them. And that might be something that's simple and easy for them to take on. And I would recommend if you're doing that, keep it a plain text email. Keep it very simple with a couple lines. Hey, I appreciate you opting in and learning more about how I can help XYZ. Um, you know, I, I found this problem in my life. Here's how I solved it. And it helped my business grow by this much. I was wondering, what was the main thing that you were interested in when you requested more information so I can make sure I give you the right stuff? And then, Perfect. you know, simple conversation. I'm starting with that question. We do the same thing with text messaging, and we'll get into that in our messaging section where we talk more about the message and one of our future podcast episodes. But that's a simple way that we can incorporate the same approach that we use with our text messaging, trying to start conversations, but using it with email. 
and have that as an occasional part of your email follow-up. So your emails will actually show more engagement and have better likelihood of getting into the inbox. That's great. Let's, I think we're going to wrap up the episode here. I just want to sum up. The sum up is this. Um, email is a tough game to play. Uh, it's not a, a media that's dead, but it sure is getting hit pretty hard. You've got lots of things hitting you from all directions. You've got email service providers using machine learning now to s- use sophisticated methods to filter out email messages and put them where people aren't going to see them. You've got information overload. So the email inbox is just inundated. And so you're fighting against that, that tide that's coming against you. And then on top of all that, you have the automation platforms that are constantly struggling to get the emails even out the door. And so you've got a lot of these battles that you're fighting, but with all those battles that you're fighting, um, email still has a place, but its best place is as a reference that you use in other medias. So when you're doing your lead capture through other platforms, what you want to do is reference that email, you know, tell people you delivered something valuable there as well. And as you do that, you're going to start getting some better opportunities. And then finally, make sure that you're actually using the technology the way that it was meant to be used, which means engaging in conversation. Trent, I think on that last note, though, some people might think, oh, no, what if a bunch of people reply to my emails? Well, that's a great thing. It's a great problem to have. Unless you're pissing people off and it's a negative thing, that becomes kind of a heavy thing to deal with. But in most cases, if you're asking and engaging with questions that are pertinent and directly related to whatever your, your product or service is that helps them to have a benefit, you're going to get good positive response from that. And well, it's an opportunity for conversation. Now, if you're, you're selling like a $10 product that's like an online product and it's just a one-time sale – that probably isn't going to work for creating a conversation. It may not be the best business to be in. But for most people, they have enough uh, profit and value in what they offer that having a conversation and having more conversations may even justify hiring a salesperson as you see your, sub- your sales triple or double or whatever because now you're using conversations to sell versus just trying to hope that your emails get looked at and that people actually want to buy without asking any questions. Because usually when people have a conversation, they can ask the one or two questions they have that's holding them back from making a buying decision. And that's amazing. Once you get past that, you find out more information about why they're not buying. You can address that in your copy and your, in your marketing, your follow-up. And then you have less and less questions about that thing, but you still will have questions or people wanting to have a connection. The more you can connect with the person one-to-one, person-to-person, even if it's business-to-business, business-to-person sales, the more likely they're going to do business with you. So I, it, to me, it amazes me how many people run away from the opportunity to talk to their, their customers or potential customers because they think it'll take too much time. It's like, oh, I'm building a business to make money, and that requires often investment of time, and you can't just automate relationship. It doesn't happen. So that's what I would say if you're afraid of getting responses – Rethink about how you look at responses. It's a great opportunity to grow and learn and make your business better. And if you need to, hire some people. Great. It's an, it's an awesome problem to have. You know, and that, that you said something really important there, which is the point of marketing automation software should be to start conversations, not sell. Right? Marketing, yeah. like we said, the whole point of marketing is to move people to the sales conversation. And so too many people think, oh, no, the part of marketing is to get people to buy. No, it's to get them to enter into the conversation that leads to a buying decision. So you're educating, you're prompting, you're inviting. All those things, though, are designed to have a sales conversation where that one or two concern that they have can be resolved and then they can make the buying decision. If you this is why it's I shouldn't be surprised by it because it all makes sense. 
but how often people end up doubling their sales just by implementing some of these concepts we've already talked about in the first two episodes, because we're moving from treating people the wrong way, which is what we're going to talk about in our next episode, to actually engaging with them as human beings and helping them with their problems and through that process, creating great relationships that, and here's the thing about great relationships, they create referrals. You know, there's all sorts of techniques people use to get more referrals, which are usually like awkward and weird. You want to get referrals, care about people and create great relationships by taking care of them. You don't even have to ask at that point. They're going to, you can't stop them from doing it. So we'll get into that in the next episode as we talk about how you see people changes the way you communicate with them. So thanks for joining us in this episode. This is really great, Travis. I was really excited about the breakthrough that you had with uh, email and direct mail. That was fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forking look re- rethinking how we're using email um, and, and talking about it. I was about, thinking the same thing. <laughs> get more conversations. Even though we get tons of conversations through text message, there's yeah. still a portion of people that prefer to reply to email. And so we're going to incorporate better conversation starters, not only in our texting, but also in our email marketing. Compared to texting, it's probably like one out of 20, but still there's one and we need to make sure we're using them. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. I hope you guys have gotten the value that we perceive that there is. And obviously you're the one that matters. Uh, If you have, then you're going to look forward to our next episode, episode three. That's That's a wrap. That's a wrap.